This is Pam Concier from All Hands Art, and today I'm doing my first interview, which appropriately is with my very dear friend and very longtime friend. I won't say old because we're we're youthful. Um, Patty Carey, Patricia Joe Benson Carey, <laughs> and. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why I wanted to interview her, and I think it's awesome that she is my first interviewee because we have parallel lives in a lot of ways, not only because we've known each other since ninth grade. Um, I was trying to remember how we actually became friends, and I remembered that we were tennis partners on the JV doubles tennis team, remember, mm -hmm. in ninth grade? All I remember is just laughing a lot. I think we tried hard. I think we gave it some good effort, but I mostly remember just having fits of giggles. Yeah, it's funny. It's probably annoying to oh, our teammates and our coach. I think we may have met each other in Mr. Van Dyne's class, the ex-cop who taught us, yes. was it criminal justice? Yes. Talk about good girls who don't need any kind of criminal justice <laughs> prevention or training. Ironic. But wow. Yeah. That's so wild that there was even a class on criminal justice in ninth grade. I know. In the Delinquent 70s. Junior high kids, I guess. <laughs> I guess. He was probably trying to scare the crap out of us. Um, so I'm going to have you introduce yourself and your work in a minute, but the three basic topics that I wanted to talk to you about today were the what I envision for this podcast, which is evolving, um, is sort of uncovering or talking about the, the lives of people who are making creativity the focus of their work or who are not living traditional jobs, not doing traditional work, um, and sort of centering their work from a soulful place of creativity. And you're someone who's doing that in the world of health. Um, and so that's one thing I want to talk to you about is like how you went from from having sort of a traditional job back in the day in communications, not traditional, it was kind of unusual, but you know, like a nine to five, having a steady paycheck kind of job to what you're growing now. And we are both in the messy middle, like we're not famous and we're not rich, <laughs> but we are doing things that we feel really, really committed to. So that's, mm -hmm. that's one thing I want to talk to you about. I, because you're in the world of health and specifically cancer, you talk a lot about the difference between healing and curing. So I want to have you talk about that. And then we both um, have been talking and thinking a lot lately about striving and how I, and we both have experiences of like, being a striver and then having it have devastating effects on our own health and force life changes. And you see that in other people too, in the health world. So um, so why don't you start by introducing yourself um, and your background of your work and what you're doing currently. Okay. Um, my business is called The Art of Mindful Healing. And three of my favorite words are in my business, arts, healing, and mindful. Um, I creatively decided to use that title, even though it's 
many people said it's too long and the art of dot 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 has been overused but i'm very unapologetic about my business name and that's one of the things that i have i guess transformed myself to be is to be more unapologetic about my decisions so i for 25 years somewhere around there i was a communications person and i had a clear path of where i should be at what age you know i had a clear path of the title i wanted and how much money i thought i should be making by a certain age and then um things unraveled for me and i think often in the place of unraveling that's where um, big changes happen if we allow them to um, many people are uncomfortable with change especially right now in this time of corona there's so much change and unknowns but um i had cancer in 2009 and while i was going through treatment i was threatened to be laid off and i provide health care for our family and in my sort of good girl mode of the way life is supposed to be i thought the worst thing that can happen is that you can get cancer the second thing that worst thing that can happen is that you can lose your health insurance when you're when you have cancer um both of those things happened and they were opportunities to learn and grow and see that post-traumatic growth And I want to stop you right there because when you say you have cancer, I want you to flesh that out a little bit more because I came to visit you. You live in Seattle. I at the time was living in Oakland. Now I'm in Portland, so we see each other a lot more often. But I, I was in the Northwest. I came to see you and I thought you were dying. You had no hair. Like this was not just a little bout of cancer. Yeah. Describe a little bit more about your cancer experience. Yeah, I had um, sort of a, I guess I would say the word anomaly. I was someone who had no history of breast cancer in my family and um, got a very serious, aggressive diagnosis um, of breast, stage three breast cancer. And um, I, that's really when I decided that I really needed to listen to my gut and I hadn't really been doing that my whole life and I didn't understand that right away but certainly as the years went on I understood it so I went through weekly chemo for 27 weeks which that in itself is a little unusual Um, but I was actually trying to be a creative problem solver I wanted to do weekly chemo because I thought I could still work getting a lower dose of chemo and many people were like you're crazy and at the time nobody was really doing weekly chemo and now it's more common Um, so I, um, I did work through chemo. I cut back hours, which was really hard for me to do because um, that just wasn't my work ethic at the time. So I went through a lot of chemo. Um, I had Prior to that, I had surgery, and then I did six weeks of radiation. And I've been on um, a pill for almost 10 years. So there's, it's been a long road. And I, sometimes I wonder, am I still in treatment because I take this pill? Um, But I began to really, um, I guess, advocate for myself and who I really wanted to be. And I started when I became a cancer patient. I decided I was going to be super open about my experience and not worry that people might think it's depressing. And if people thought it was depressing, they could just choose to not read my blog. But I, I, I call it a blog, but it was more of a journal. I was very open about it. I wrote at quite, um, you know, 
often and at great length about what exactly I was going through. And that ended up being a huge turning point for the, the benefit of being really open and showing our vulnerability, which I think a lot of recovering good girls realize is one of the most important things is to show that we are human beings and that we're not perfect. And that, you know, strivers can be seen as perfect sometimes. And so I just opened up quite honestly. And then from there, I, um, Another, I, I want to jump in again because I had I had made a little note of that. I wanted to make sure that um, that we talked about it because your blog not only brought people into your experience, but you also were asking really openly for help and support and prayers and you know it, and that's a big deal too yeah. for striverly good girls yeah. to show what could be perceived as weakness or, you know, asking for help. And you did such a beautiful job of that. And you still do it with this text, you know, your hist, we don't have to go into the histasistas <laughs> or, or the surgery sisters or, but you, you are a role model in that area for me of showing me how to ask for help and, you know, like we all need help. And in our country, it makes me really mad this, um, this false sense of independence, you know, I can do it on my own. I think it's so destructive. Mm -hmm. I won't even go into all the reasons why, but health is one, like, you know, I think you see a lot of people suffer in silence and they don't want to be a burden on anyone. And, and you did such a good job modeling, like, hey, I'm going through this really hard thing. Here's what a day of chemo looks like here's what's going on in my family. And Amelia was, what, five years old mm -hmm. when all that started? Yeah. And, you know, here's what my five-year-old said when, you know, her mom's hair's falling out or whatever you were going through. Mm -hmm. And that was really impactful and I think gave other people permission, like me, to ask for help when, when we need it. So I just wanted to highlight that, so. Yeah, thank you. That was very hard. That was not typical patty mode. And it took something like a threatening life disease for me to do that. And that's, you know, I look back and I think, wow, that's so sad in some ways that it takes something so scary for us to ask for help. So I thank you for mentioning that because that was a huge turning point for me. And I remember people saying to me, oh, if I had cancer, I would never be asking for any help. And I thought, A, um, was angry that people would say that um, because like you don't know how you'll be when you've you know when you could die from something and B I just thought you know it just made me angry because I think it's so hard for women to ask for help because we are you know the supposed to be the nurturers and the, the women who can juggle the working and the working mom and it's just you know we're setting up ourselves up for just unhealthy behavior both physically and mentally. Yeah, we're supposed to be the helpers, not the people asking for help. Right. Yeah. And I was probably raised that way. You know, I had a strong mother who I really admired some of the ways she was able to get so much done. But there's so much power in asking for help. I mean, the way I had no idea what I was saying was impacting anybody. You know, people would post a few things on the blog, but years later, people were mentioning that that journal and I kept thinking wow something as simple as just 
opening up and sharing your feelings is making people think about it years later. So. Well, I think about it now, and that was 10 years ago, right? Or 11? Mm-hmm. And yeah. so that was before Brene Brown went viral. You know, she was like the first really public person to talk about vulnerability and and how how vulnerability is strength, not weakness. And, you know, now that seems like it's out in the public discourse, but at that time... It wasn't really, and um, you were very brave to do that, and yeah, it influenced a lot of people. Yeah, thank you. I'm. I still have to practice it, you know. Even even though I appeared, you know, to have done it so well, it's still very hard, um, and it's just a lifelong practice. Yeah, I think I th- that's important to remember too. You know, we don't master really anything. It's always on our, you know, the path is always to learn more about ourselves. Right, and I'm not gonna put you on the spot by asking you this question, but something I've been thinking about lately is, because I read it probably through somebody who writes about mindfulness or maybe Buddhism or something, that we all have a big question that our life is about answering. I didn't really say that clearly, but like, so as I think in our society, we're used to just, you know, like knocking down all these achievements on this path. But but I like to think of it more because I'm the same way. Like I have I have my thing, which is getting people to transform the way they see themselves creatively. And that is because I have to struggle. I wrestle with that every day. And I lived this life that was sort of a closeted creative and with all the baggage and everything. And then I worked my way very slowly and gradually over 30 plus years out of it. And now it's like my life's mission to help other people make that transformation. But so I feel like that's my big question that my soul is here to wrestle with is like, why, why do we have so much creative baggage and how can we express our humanness more fully? And you, I'm not, I'm not going to put you on the spot by asking you what your big lifelong question is, but I, you're, you know, you're revealing parts of it. But I, I like that way of looking at life because um, I, it, there's so much meaning there, but also like it can give your life purpose, this ultimate purpose, but also this sense of it will never be finished. And that's okay. Like, we'll never be done. I will never be finished working through my creative baggage, but that's Mm -hmm. okay. I'm here to struggle with it and in the process, hopefully bring other people along with me and you have your things that you're here to struggle with every day and bring other people along. And like what, Mm -hmm. I think that's a really meaningful way to live. Yeah, that's a very interesting question. I. I think so much of who we think we need to become has to do with accomplishments and so much of that is tied to control. And I talk a lot in my classes um, about mental health. I actually speak more about mental health and spiritual health than I do physical health because there's so much emphasis on physical health for people with chronic illness. And, you know, when we check off boxes or, or, advance to another title 
it's this false sense of control. And with that, we think there's a greater sense of safety. But when we're creative, creative, I think we're, we're not putting safety as the, um, you know, the ultimate goal. Um, we're putting like spirit, because for me, you know, my creativity comes from my spirit. And that's who I want people to see. And I think women have a really hard time with this. It's confusing, um, you know, because I worked in a creative field for so long, writing, doing desktop design, I thought, oh, I am a creative person. But it was, you know, creativity with a to-do list. You got to get the newsletter out, you got to write, you know, I didn't have really any, I had some say in what I could do, but it was really, you know, directed from somebody, you know, like a supervisor. Um, and I also feel like, you know, we, um, as a culture, American culture, we, we need to feel safe. And I am trying my life's work professionally, personally, you know, as, as a parent is to try to help people shift from being, you know, um, I didn't get this, this didn't happen to I'm really curious about this. I'm really curious why I didn't get, you know, asked to be on the podcast, or I'm really curious about, you know, why I didn't get X, Y, Z. And when we shift to a place of current uh, curiosity, we're bending and we're not breaking. And that's, you know, most people get to a breaking point before they'll make a risk and change. And that, that was what happened to me. My cancer diagnosis was a breaking point. So I often, I like analogies a lot, and I use this analogy in my work with survivors and patients. I say, you know, we need to watch for the, the sparks and not just wait for the flames. And it's that idea of prevention versus intervention. And for me, creativity, is what really makes me feel whole and it grounds me and it really is what makes me unique it's not the fact that i have a job or you know have done xyz it's really you know what i'm creating what i'm what i'm doing with um, my time and, and and thinking about the bigger questions of life and yeah and I, it makes me think of a few things listening to you talk one is that there is no creativity without risk um, Stephen Pressfield and the war of art talks about that Elizabeth Gilbert and big magic talks about that like there is there is no creativity without risk and I think that's the difference I think I might offend a lot of people right now but I've I've thought a lot about why why does scrapbooking why why there's something about it that bothers me and i re recently thought it's because there's no risk it's not really art or creativity because somebody else did all the artwork and you're picking and choosing and i'm sorry for the people who scrapbook i love you <laughs> um and it's it's not useless like you you're creating great memories to keep and so i'm not i don't want to throw the people or the activity under the bus but it's it's different than art because there is no risk involved. And that, because I've spent a lot of time thinking like, what's the difference between scrapbooking and collage? 
or between the paint and sip nights where you're following along, watching somebody paint and where everybody's painting the same picture versus like the kind of painting workshops I like to do where everybody chooses their own subject and you're just, it's because you're putting something of yourself in it instead of just following instructions and, and the creativity you talked about in your former job where you had a set of instructions and you were carrying them out and that those are all good places to start so keep scrapbooking mm -hmm. and keep going to paint and sip nights because those can be an entry point but then at some point if you want it to be art it has to come from your own set of interests and experiences and and it has to show us something of yourself that is honest because otherwise it's not yet art it can all be on the road to it, though. So I'm going to dial back and not, you know, I'm, I'm taking all those things out from under the bus and putting them <laughs> just earlier on the path. So use those as stepping stones until right. you're ready to take the risk and show us something vulnerable because art is super vulnerable. Any kind of creativity involves risk because it might not work. People might not like it. People right. will probably ignore it. That's what usually happens to me. It's not like I anyone complains they just don't respond although not always well, and you know there's so much guilt that people have around carving out time in their very busy lives quote unquote to do art to just sit down and oh, I know. You know, and that you know that's a whole you know a whole nother podcast just the guilt people have because they think it's too leisurely or you know what's the benefit in this and you know, those things are springboards to other things. And I remember um, when I first told people that I was hired by a cancer institute to do these classes, everybody assumed I was just doing art because the art of mindful healing. And I wanted to do a lot of art, but what was happening is I was trying to organize myself and figure out what, um, you know, what each two hour class would look like over a series of four classes. Um, I started off with emotional stuff and that, that in itself was risky because a lot of people are like, oh, this is too, too uncomfortable for me. They just wanted me to start out with the nutrition and the exercise. And I specifically started out with, you know, I, I want people to understand you may be cured. The medicine hopefully worked, but are you healed? And that alone was like, oh my gosh. And then we moved to the um, the next week is more nutrition and um, exercise so that people don't drop out of the class because <laughs> you know, that first night is really uncomfortable for people. And I think, wow, I'm always surprised by that. And I've been doing these classes for over five years. And then eventually I come back, usually on the last night where we do these healing boards. Cause I, re and I added that just in the last two years cause I felt like we weren't getting to the art part. And that was really important to me. So I just decided every single class, no matter how many people show up, we're doing a healing board. And I'm always nervous about telling people in advance because I think people won't show up. So I just don't anymore. And they show up and I've had people say, this was so fun. I would love to just get together with people and do this. And then I have some people who put one word down on a piece of paper with maybe a picture of a bird and that's their idea. And that's great because that's the visual. You know, I'm like, put this up so you constantly see it, so you can feel the color, the energy, remember the connection of all the other survivors. And it's been really powerful. And 
um, I decided to not use the, the topic vision board, but I wanted to use healing board. But um, even that made people feel like, why is, you know, some people feel like, why is this a part of the class? But it's because we feel most whole when our body, mind, and spirit are all connected. You know, we cannot have full healing without wholeness. And I think a lot of recovering good girls just focus so much on most likely the physical and the mental and forgot the whole emotional. And sometimes people say, I don't have the time for it. And I get it. it it's hard to figure that out, but it's definitely possible. And, and I think that there's just so much pressure in our culture to get stuff done. And, um, you know, and then there's a the whole money thing tied to that. And, you know, it, it's complicated. I mean, all these things are complicated, but they're also very basic. Um, you know, what to me, the, the most important thing is my health. One of the things that I've noticed but in spending months <laughs> unpacking this concept of striving um, and good girl behavior is the way that I treat my body, which has mm. changed completely, like 180 degrees. Because I think I used to see my body as something for me to control and almost beat down into submission. Mm. And so I would exercise really hard and I you know I I got a ton of benefit out of my martial arts training so I'm I want to be careful how I talk about it but there is an element in martial arts of like the more bruised you are the more you know like if you do push-ups on your fists and your knuckles are bleeding like that's kind of a um, badge of honor and I didn't fully buy into that but that was sort of a thing and I already, you know, from a much younger age, and I grew up doing gymnastics, and in the 80s when anorexia and bulimia were rampant, and I didn't, I wouldn't say I full-on had a eating disorder, but I, I have felt body dysmorphia sometimes, where like, I look in the mirror and I don't know what I'm seeing, I don't know if I'm slim or overweight, like, it's weird, um, but I feel like that's kind of working itself out, but now, so that's how I sort of came up was beat my body into submission, control it, count the calories, you know, like make it my slave. And now I feel like I, I, I have so much gratitude for my body. I think I told you once at the end of every yoga class, I say this little prayer to whoever, maybe to my body. Um, thank you. I say thank you for my um, strong, flexible, and healthy body help me remember that the body is the source and container of all wisdom. And those words just came to me one day, and I don't know if I believed them at first, but the more I read and think about it, I think it's true. And now mm. I treat my, you know, I, like I have tuned in to listen to my body when it wants a nap, I let it take a nap. And when it you know, when it wants to move, it's been a little challenging during stay at home, shelter in place because I'm not on my typical exercise schedule because I like to do group exercise. So I can tell sometimes when I go to bed, oh, my body didn't move enough today. You know, it's got kind of ants in my pants. And mm -hmm. I, 
I notice those things now because it just, I feel like I'm so much more in tune. And I used to have all the body signals of crying and, you know, but I didn't know why I couldn't connect what I was crying about. And I was just so focused on trying to shush down all of those emotions. And now I'm like, ooh, I'm tearing up. Like, what is this about? And I'll spend time. Anyway, I could go on and on. But the way I treat my body is just completely different. And I'm guessing mm-hmm. that in, I know from conversations we've had that a lot of, especially the women that you work with, they still are wanting to control, mm-hmm. not, yeah. not listen to the body. And would you, like, is that the difference between curing and healing or? Um, it's one it's one of the shifts, um, you know, because it's, uh, what am I supposed to be doing next? And I'm like, I don't know. What are you supposed to be doing next? What is your body, mind, and spirit telling you to do? Um, you know, there's some wise advice and recommendations, but it's just that, you know, simple things like, you know, check vitamins and watch this and that and get exercise. But, um, you know, the body is, just another way a lot of people feel in control. You know, I was a long time runner and, you know, I remember when I, if I couldn't run for at least 30 minutes, I'd be like, it's not worth it, you know? And so it's another way to control. And so I always um, try to shift back to, you know, there is no right or wrong way to, to transition after treatment, but here's some things that I recommend. And, you know, it's as basic as making sure that your life pie as body, mind, and spirit in it, and ask yourself, how are you spending most of your time? Are you in your head most? Are you in your body? Are you in your spirit? And that's a really interesting exercise for some people, that simple, less than five-minute exercise, because most of the people are in their mind more. And I, I love being in my mind. I'm, I'm very inquisitive. I've always kind of, you know, been a curious person, and, um, you know, I, I can be with myself easily in my mind, but it's also a scary place to be. Um, and so for me, the difference between curing and healing is that, first of all, you can be healed and not cured. People who have a stage four situation and know that there will never be any cure are some of the most healed people I know because they have relaxed into, I can't control this, so I'm going to do as much as I can to be good to my body and I'm going to seek other people out with that philosophy and I'm going to continue to learn and grow and not give up on life. And um, they are more comfortable with bending and it's taken a lot of them practice. It's not like, you know, people get there immediately. Um, Like most things, it takes a lot of time for behavioral change. Um, I also think that with healing, it's important to look backwards a little bit. We have to consider our lifelong patterns. And you and I do that. We've known each other a long time. We, we can talk about our past easily, but some people have no idea that they're even anxious. They mistake it as some sort of high energy. And I was one of those people because so many people around me were like that in my family. And I had to recognize what anxiety was because anxiety is a big stumbling block for how people don't fully heal, especially with disease, but in all areas. And for some people, um, it's too scary to look back on their lives. 
they feel like by reintroducing some kind of trauma, they'll just end up down in this deep hole and won't be able to get out. And that could happen. But when we open up, it is always better um, than keeping things inside us. So it's a, you know, that's kind of a, maybe not as clear of an answer as I could give, but it's about introspection. It's about wanting to change. It's about knowing how to ask for help. It's about finding the tools and finding kindred spirits is huge. Um, that's one of the things I'm most proud about is in my classes, some of these strangers, quote unquote, become really good friends because I talk a lot about kinship as medicine. I talk a lot about humor as medicine. I talk a lot about writing as medicine, meditating, journaling, all those things when we're listening to our body. Um, and I think that many people just haven't ever considered what it is to heal. And they're wondering, why am I not moving on? I'm like, well, let's revisit a couple things, <laughs> you know? Um, every time you go to a doctor's appointment, you get super nervous and you, you know, don't sleep the night before. So let's start there, you know, just starting with these, what I consider small steps. Um, I, I've read a lot, researched a lot, both from medical professionals and also artists and, you know, people younger than me, older than me. And, you know, healing really is about feeling safe and knowing that you have the resiliency to handle something that might be really scary. And right now, all of our resiliency is being tested, you know, um, and I'm working on it because I've had this delayed surgery and, you know, I'm thinking, well, how much longer can I wait for the surgery before, you know, it takes a bigger toll on my body. But so I'm having to constantly practice. And yeah, I want to I want to just jump in and say that Patty was in Italy as the coronavirus was just arriving there and then flew back to Seattle as it as the virus was heating up there and was scheduled to have a preventive slash not quite emergency cancer surgery, which was, yeah. is that how you describe it? Yeah, we're hoping it's preventative. We're not sure if it's a recurrence, but we're calling it preventative now. And so yeah. the, her surgery was on the calendar. I was gonna come up and hang out with family and help out. And then it was canceled as she was already in, were you in the yeah. operating room? Like you were, not yet. <laughs> you were masked up in the hospital and yeah. Todd, her husband was giving us, you know, like, okay, we're, it's a go. And, and then yeah. a few minutes later, it's like, okay, it's canceled. And then it was rescheduled and then canceled again. So you've been a, a, um, casualty of the Seattle epidemic and, um, you have had to put all of your, like practice what you preach because you're in a situation that could be super anxiety provoking and you're trying your best, you're pulling in all your resources and your people and you're making a lot of art and you're reaching out to your support network and you're doing all the things that you teach about to get yourself through this time. So it's mm -hmm. not, yeah, it's not all in your past. It's like what, how you live your yeah, day today. It's, it's another chance to really um, check in a little bit with, um, 
my patterns. And I, I must say, I, I am handling this unknown time with my postponed surgery better than I would have 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. But there's still certainly anxiety. Um, part of it is there's a lot of anxiety around me with my friends and family being worried. And that's another important thing to check in on is, you know, how do, how do others influence us um, when we're going through a tough time or when we're, you know, deciding we're going to try something new with career or whatever. Um, it's important to listen to ourselves. But yeah, I've definitely had to practice a lot. And um, yeah, we'll keep checking in with me and asking how I'm doing as the weeks go by. But um, I, but I'm opening up about it, you know, as are other people, because I, I realize I'm not the only one who could, you know, who A, has had surgery delayed and B, who could face another cancer diagnosis. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm on a Facebook group with 60 other thousand women around the world who are waiting to have hysterectomies or who have recently had them. And 60,000? 60,000. And that's just hysterectomies. And not all of them have cancer situations, but, you know, it's been really really good for me because I'm leaning into hearing other people's um, frustrations, but I'm also realizing that I have a lot to be grateful for because honestly, I think if I'd had surgery in early March and there was any complications, I could have ended up in the ER or in the hospital without my husband or friend, you know, there's, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of, there was a lot of risk and I'm, I'm glad that I didn't go through with it. So um, as we wind down, I want to say I'm so amazed with us. You and I can talk on the phone for like four hours or together. We'll stay up till like three in the morning. And so I was thinking, oh, how are we going to keep like a coherent conversation in like an hour or less? But I think we did a really good job. Yeah. I'm impressed with us. We stayed on topic. Um, I I have really enjoyed this. So as before we go tell tell the people about the book you're working on because you and i that's part of our parallel lives we're writing basically the same book only patty's is centered around healing and health and mine is centered around healing and art i guess um so tell us a little bit about your book and then where people can connect with you because i know you're on twitter and um Mm -hmm. Yeah, where can they find you if they want to learn more? Okay, um, I have been working on writing a book for maybe I don't know a couple of years, but it doesn't really matter how long I've been working on it. But it's <laughs> been a very thoughtful process for me, and my book is addressing a lot of the myths around um, recovering from illness. It doesn't have to be cancer; um, it can be anything because I think that that's missing in in our culture is sort of the, how do you address the transition period? Um, I like to think of it as a liminal period. You're not per se a patient, and yet you're not further along on the path that you're considered a survivor, whatever term you use. So it's that it's that liminal period, which is the period of unknowns and uncertainty. So that's um, the majority of what I'm addressing is, you know, this education of healing my personal experience, and then some gems that I've learned from other people. Um, 
both teachers, doctors, and, and patients. And then I'm addressing um, a creative approach to feeling resilience and to really putting um, your individuality first. And so I spend um, one specific chapter on creativity um, because I think creativity is medicine, music, art, cooking, you know, all these things are medicine. And so I try to reframe what is medicine to you. And for me, 10 years ago, I discovered just how much my friends are medicine. So I talk a lot about your circle of support and the kinship and the accelerated closeness you feel to someone who has either been in your shoes or to someone who is just literally almost dying to talk about their experience and their family and friends might feel like, why are you still talking about that? That happened years ago. But, you know, it's true of divorce. I mean, it's true of a lot of things. Well, it's um, a it's a trauma that you've just gone through. And I think people, yeah. you know, we're just starting to understand the effects of trauma, but it's, you know, people don't really think of that part of it. Take some right. recovery just from the experience you've just been through. Yeah, and as long as we live, we're going to have trauma. So this is a lifelong process. This isn't a do these five things and then you'll be a cancer survivor. It's almost the opposite. It's like your whole life you'll wrestle with triggers and that's important to know. And again, it's not just about disease, but I'm, I have to narrow it down. So I'm, I'm doing, uh, focusing on illness and health. Um, and I have a Facebook page. It's connected to my personal page, but I'm fine with people um, also seeing my personal side. And it's my page is the art of mindful healing. And I'm on Twitter, and I'm at Mindful Healing Two, the the, new, the number two. And um, I'm on Instagram, um, and I'm now I'm forgetting what my Instagram handle is because I just do it so automatically. I think it's I the think, Art of Mindful Healing. Yeah, I think it's Art of Mindful. Yeah. So. Um, and um, yeah, and I'm just wanting to connect people and to really encourage people to, you know be your independent self and find people who can support you with that because you're a better person, you're a better wife, partner, mother, daughter, friends. And I think we sometimes need permission for that. So I, I want to give people permission to do that. Yay. Hooray. That's a great place to stop. I feel I'm thinking of all these interviewing because I'm such a podcast junkie. I'm like, oh, I should have thought of my um, rapid fire questions at the end or some you know like big question but I don't have any thing like that <laughs> queued up <laughs> well when we go on the road and have our radio show and yeah <laughs> we'll have time to think of things like that um yeah. it's been great talking to you I also want to say things like it'll all be in the show notes and I'm, then I'm like I guess I have to figure out how to write show notes <laughs> you'll but, figure it out <laughs> but I will um put links to Patty's uh social media and such so you can find out more and keep up to date on this and encourage her on this book because we need it and um, maybe I can be the interviewer who, who interviews people while they're writing books. You know, usually like after the book comes out, that's when everybody gets interviewed. That would but be great. I'm about the messy middle of here's what life is like when you're trying to figure out how to write a book. Yeah, that'd be great. All right. Well, thank you, dear friend. It's been great talking to you. And thank you. I am going to. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I know. I feel like we kind of knocked it out of the park for our, 
first uh thanks for being the first yeah. interviewee on the uh accidental muralist podcast we unapologetically rock Pam. yeah i know let's just own it right we did a yeah. good job we <laughs> yeah. we did a good job all right yeah. thank you i love you okay. thank you love you ciao ciao okay bye well thank you dear listener for tuning in to the accidental muralist podcast and if you know somebody who is in the thick of getting an art business off the ground or running an art space community organization um, that you think would be a good candidate for me to interview, send me an email at pam at allhandsart.com and tell me why you think they would uh, be a good fit for this. Thank you and look forward to new episodes on the 23rd of each month and I will see you next time.